You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 51, Speaking Spanish, Italian, French, and Sicilian. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. Today, my guest is Josie, the founder of Lumina Translations. In this episode, Josie talks about growing up in a Venezuelan Spanish and Sicilian speaking home and how those two cultures came together in her life. We talk about learning French in Canada and the dialect of French that was taught to her during her studies. Josie tells us that she not only taught herself to speak Spanish, but she also learned to speak standard Italian through her husband. And because Josie is a translator, she's telling us all about her career path from interpretation into translation. And she talks about the important distinctions between the two rather distinct career paths. I think translation is such important work, and I hope that anyone out there listening to this episode with their eye on becoming a translator will find some inspiration in Josie's story. Big thank you to Josie for having this conversation with me for this episode. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And one more thing, if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Josie. How are you today, Josie? I'm doing very well. Al, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm so happy to have you here on this uh, this episode of the show. I like to start each episode <laughs> with the same question, and that is, what is your first language, and how many languages do you speak? So I speak five languages, and they're Spanish, French, English, Standard Italian, and our family's dialect, which is Sicilian. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so um, in terms of my first language, it's actually very interesting because although I was born in Toronto, my parents are both immigrants. So I grew up speaking Sicilian before I could even speak English. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, and of course, you know, once I started going to daycare, then I learned English and now it's, you know, become my dominant language. Yeah. Oh, wow. So in your home growing up, you heard Sicilian, as you said, and, and you said Spanish as well? Yes. So my mom was born in Italy, but she was raised in Venezuela. And my dad was born in Canada, but he was raised in Italy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> that is really, really unique. What yeah. Was, what was that like? Like, that's it was cool. very interesting. Yeah. So luckily enough, they're, they're both um, of a Sicilian descent. So the dominant language growing up was Sicilian. And, you know, sometimes my mom would throw in Spanish, you know, you know, to teach me. And especially, you know, if we'd start dancing to salsa, merengue, then, you know, she'd add in her Venezuelan flair. But predominantly, it was definitely Sicilian. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know if you've heard any of my show last year, but I did three episodes on Sicilian. 
Oh, really? And I, I'm just like obsessed with Sicily. So I'm going to try really hard to not <laughs> gush and gush and gush over Sicilian culture and languages. This is just my favorite thing. But um, so you said that you grew up in the house and Sicilian was your language um, at home. But what about in your community? Were you surrounded by many other Sicilians or Italian speakers? Um, so I was... I, I'm from Toronto now, but I grew up in a smaller city north of the city, uh, north of Toronto, and it's called Woodbridge. And so here, um, I found predominantly a lot of people from Calabria and sometimes Sicilian. So although I never felt like I was really a fish out of water, because, you know, they understood me and I got them. Mm-hmm. Sicilian, exactly? No, not as common. Okay. And when you were in school what was your language learning experience like? Like what languages were mandatory, compulsory, or what languages did you gravitate toward learning when you were in school? Yeah, so here in Canada, they do teach us French at a very early age. And sometimes they even start, you know, at daycare, kindergarten. And um, of course, what's mandatory is in elementary school. So that is when you really, really start your immersion in French. And then you continue learning French all the way up until high school. And it's not until about grade 10 when you are given the choice to either drop it as a course or to continue. And in my case, I chose to continue it all throughout high school and even through university. And of course, I then ended up graduating and I got you know my degree in French studies and also another degree in French to English translation. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot of studying. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I think that, you know, I was going to ask you this, but you're bringing it up now, which is perfect timing. Um, I think that I always thought that Canadians, like, have to learn French as a second language. And I've met some Canadians who say, yes, like, they learned it in school some who have gone as far as like they are bilingual. And then there's some who didn't really take French at all in school. And it's like, I think the one or two people that I met um, who didn't take French at all were from like Western Canada, like Vancouver. But it's such a misconception that I know I have as an American that like, oh, everyone in Canada is bilingual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it is a big misconception, I know. And so oddly enough, um, French is our second national and official language, but it is sparingly used throughout the country. And so, of course, maybe as you imagine, it's, you know, predominantly used in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And another province where they do speak it is Manitoba as well. But, you know, if you come to Ontario, aside from our capital city, Ottawa, you know, everywhere else like Toronto, nobody really speaks it. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely interesting. That is really interesting. I went to Montreal one time and I was like, I had no idea. This is my own like foolishness, but <laughs> <laughs> I went to Montreal one time and I was like, oh, they speak French there. Like, I'll be fine. Little did I know that the French is so different. It is. It's oh, yes. <laughs> completely different French. So I understand enough French to get through a French-speaking city. And none of that helped me when I was in Montreal. 
at all. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> now that you say that, it reminds me of, you know, learning French in university. So I thought, oh, wow, you know, if I go to Quebec, I'll be fine. But turns out they have been teaching us the standard Parisian French all along. And so mm. out of nowhere, we, 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 have, we had this professor one day come and she says, okay, so now today I'm going to show you guys the difference in terms of syntax, morphology, and, you know, on, on a linguistic level, how it's different from the Quebec French. And I was so mind blown. I thought, wow, all along, they have been teaching us a different French. <laughs> That's weird. So I, I know, mean, I, I don't know why, but yeah, that's, why wouldn't that's they the case. teach you. Okay. Did you ever have an option to take Quebecois? No. So that's the funny thing. They don't present it to you. They just present it to you as French. Oh, so beginner no. French, intermediate French. Yeah. So there you're thinking, okay, great. I'll go to Quebec. Everything is fine. But you know, over there, the, the accent is much harsher and even the kinds of words that they're using are very different than the mm -hmm. ones I had been studying. So it's interesting. I, I don't know why they would do that. I need some answers. I know. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so at this stage, you're, you know, you've gone all the way to the top with your yes. French, your French um, studies and you speak Italian and or do you just speak Sicilian or do you speak Italian as well? So I, I now started to speak better I guess you can say the standard Italian because my husband um, he, he's from Italy so you know being married to him now it's been almost four years I've kind of mastered the standard Italian but before mm -hmm. that I have to say I was you know very much just using the, the, the dialect. Okay what was that or how has that experience been interesting because he was also doing the same so in italy believe it or not um anywhere you go throughout the entire country you'll find that although they're using the standard italian to communicate between regions and between the north and south you know the east and west everybody has their own dialect <laughs> absolutely yeah and so you know I can understand him, you can understand me, but it's, uh, you know, to be able to really fully communicate, then we'll just switch to the standard. And so thanks okay. to that, I was able to really, you know, master it, I guess you can say. That's amazing. This is what I find interesting is that I find that Sicilian people are, from, from what I've learned from Sicilians is that they learn Sicilian, like, with their family in their home. So there's not yes. really like a, a way to learn Sicilian. Like I wish there was, cause I want to learn it so badly. I know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't teach it in schools. It's actually um, frowned upon to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that I find it interesting from, I guess, a non European perspective of somebody going from dialect to standard yes and I, th I mean and I've learned enough to realize that Sicilian is so like it's not it's a dialect but it's it's not a di it's a language in itself because it has so many influences from other languages in the in the region definitely and I'm just Okay, I'm going on a tangent because <laughs> I can just talk about Sicily forever. Um, so let me ask you, you, you're French, you're Sicilian, Italian. Where does the Spanish come into play? 
Yes, yeah, so the Spanish comes into play um, thanks to my mother who grew up in Venezuela. And so I, I started to learn actually Spanish after the, the whole Sicilian and English situation. So that was kind of like the third language. And so I started to learn it thanks to one of my cousins who decided to move in with us from Venezuela. And so from that experience, I started, I actually self-taught to be honest, because I was so, so adamant at, you know, wanting to understand everything that my cousin and mother were saying, you know, I would see them laugh and joke. And I was just sitting there like, what are you guys saying? You know, I need to know. And so I, you know, started to watch a lot of TV shows, listen and practice with them. And I eventually was, I, I kind of acquired like a native like fluency So I was able to, you know, directly enter university program and then complete my studies and, you know, of course, master everything on a technical level. Exciting. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me about the Venezuelan part um, of growing up with your your mother having, well, your mother's Italian, but your mother having the Venezuelan culture and then having the Sicilian culture as well. Like, what are those moments mean to you what did they look like to you when you were growing up because they're so different and and I would I would imagine there's some similarity there too just like temperature wise like <laughs> yes <laughs> but, you know because like you know you're like warm weather people like warm weather people um you know we have a baseline of similarities like I'm Caribbean so it's like we're you know um it's different than like cold weather people. So it is yeah, <laughs> definitely, you know, loving to dance all the time, you know, enjoying life. And so I would say when my families would get together, you know, the Sicilian and the Venezuelan side, they would very much agree because everybody was, you know, into, Oh, let's dance. Let's enjoy life. And funnily enough, you know, on new year's Eve. So when we'd have both sides, we have these traditions that, you know, my friends ended up, you know, coining me as the, the, the luggage, girl because one of our traditions in Venezuela is when the clock strikes midnight you grab a luggage and you start running up and down the street Mm -hmm. so that is said to bring good luck okay yeah so very interesting and then on the on the other side of the table we'd have the Italian side and for them you know they pass along you know bowls full of lentils because they're said to bring money (laughs) so we had you know one was running around with the luggage the other one was eating lentils so (laughs) interesting (laughs) that's really cool so I wanted to ask you what I want to ask you is um, about communicating with people in Italy and with people in Venezuela being that you are um, you did grow up in Canada and you are living in the diaspora um, I'm always curious about how a language changes from the origin country or you know the mother country or whatever you call it like how did how is it like communicating with people from Italy, Sicily, Venezuela, um, being a part of the the diaspora? Definitely. So I'm very glad you brought this up because I actually was, you know, I, I realized myself that my Sicilian, for example, is completely not that it's wrong, but it is 
it's not the way people back in Sicily are speaking. And so I realized this when I went to Sicily a few summers ago. And um, as I was speaking with one of my cousins, they looked at me and they said, oh, but you know, you have a very interesting accent. It's more classical, like old style Sicilian. Mm -hmm. And I looked at them and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So then as I, as I went on to speak, I said a word that I had always heard my grandmother saying growing up. And that word was a shoe. So for, to me, it meant, of course. So when I said that word, my cousin looked at me and she says, wait, hold on, what did you say? And I repeated it. So she goes, oh, I've never heard of that before. So it turns out that <laughs> what I was saying seemed to have been um, the, the Sicilians who emigrated in Canada, they were trying to say sure in English. And so what they had done is they had made it Italianized and they created a new word, which is a shoe. Hmm. Yeah. And so I, you know, it was interesting to see how my grandparents Sicilian, you know, I guess had changed once they came into contact with the English in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very interesting to see. Definitely. I think what from I've noticed as a New Yorker and there's, you know, a large Italian American community here in New York as well. Yeah. And just reading about how, um, I don't remember who it was that said to me, but something about like the Sicilian of people who came to the Americas in the early 1900s is like, is like old Sicilian. Yes. Nobody really speaks in, like, you'll sound like a great, like a grandma. If you exactly. <laughs> and that's what she says. She says, you sound like my grandma speaking. And I said, oh, okay. Then she said, not that I don't understand you. I do. But it's just very, you know, shocking to see that someone as young as you is speaking very, very like olden style. <laughs> wow. So what was it? The words you were using or was it? The, it was the, the accent as well, believe oh. it or not. So the accent and I think the words I was using, except for this one word in particular, which I guess was kind of made up in a way and but it, <laughs> it stuck within our community. So, <laughs> I mean, we still use it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to just add to your comment because, you know, you were talking about how in New York there are a lot of Italians. And actually, to my own observations, I realized that, you know, people in New York, they do teach their, their children the, the dialects and the Italian. Instead, mm -hmm. growing up here, I found that, you know, although people my age knew a few words here and there, I was one of the odd ones that really spoke the dialect. So it's interesting mm -hmm. to see how, you know, the dialect is very much conserved over there in New York so yeah do you yeah. feel like that's a, maybe from your perspective and you don't have to have a, a a definitive answer but do you feel like in Canada there's more acceptance of preserving that um heritage language than there may be in the states like do you notice it from maybe other people um like other immigrant families or or who, who retain their language? So, um, hmm, that's a very good question. So in terms of the Italian community, from what I have seen here in Toronto, uh, a lot of them lose their way. So they do become more Canadian influenced and kind of forget their origins. Whereas in Quebec, oddly enough, you know, although they are speaking, you know, English and French, people there are also very much speaking their dialects. So that heritage is still very much alive over there. Mm -hmm. yeah and uh I, I don't know I'm not sure if it's okay. in terms of I don't know if it's really you know whether or not it's accepted or 
I'm not yeah. sure how to answer that question. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm just like really was off the top of my head. I'm just curious yeah. because I feel like here, um, it can be very hard for people to hold on to their language. And similar to what you said, like, um, you know, if you were one of the few who actually could communicate fully in, yes. this, in this Sicilian language um, versus your peers, um, it just makes me think about people who come from all over the world to our part of the world. Um, and I, I think about that a lot. Like, I know it might sound weird because like, I'm not, um, I'm not first generation or anything. Like my parents were born here. Um, I was born here in New York, <laughs> yes. but I'm just, I, I'm just so curious about people who are so brave to be able to come to a new place and start over. And definitely. I'm, I'm definitely always curious about how they're able to maintain their connection between their homeland and their new homeland. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. So, you know, now that you say that, my husband, he's a perfect example. So he came here about six years ago and, you know, I'll never forget, you know, he, he would tell me all these crazy stories, how over there things are so different, you know, even in terms of driving. So it, it's, I don't know why, but over there to drive, you kind of have to stop underneath the, the streetlights. So when he came here, for example, he would stop in the middle of like the light. So he was in the middle of the traffic. So imagine that. <laughs> um, so things like that. And it's a big adjustment starting from, you know, every little day situations to the language to everything. And so him, I'm not sure if he's an exception, but he is very, very into preserving his, you know, Italian um, ways, traditions, the culture, the food, everything. And yeah. I would say he's doing a very good job, but I do notice that when it comes to speaking to communicating to, you know, his family back home, he'll say, yeah, or instead of saying, see, sí, or, you know, he'll, mm. he'll start to say things in English and I have to cut him off and say, um, you know, you're speaking to your mother who doesn't not know a word in English, you know, <laughs> and then he looks at me like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, you know, the struggle is very real, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. And, um. I think what the joy of that is that I think three or four generations ago, there was probably absolute pressure for people from other parts of the world to conform yes. and to be Canadian, to be yes. American. Like you didn't have a choice, but now Definitely. he has that choice. And many other people like him have that choice to hold on to their traditions and customs and their language and not feel that pressure to let it go because they won't succeed or they won't be able to yes, survive. So absolutely. Yeah. I think there's like, you know, good parts in there too. I think. Yeah, definitely <laughs> there are. <laughs> so we talked about Italy, communicating with people in Italy. What about yes. with uh, people in Venezuela? So interestingly enough, I didn't have that, uh, the same experience. I actually had the opposite. So, you know, speaking with my cousins or even friends of friends that are from Venezuela and I had met them for the first time, everybody seemed to always say to me, wow, you know, you have such a great accent and it sounds like you are from, you were born and raised there. So, and I think it's because I learned, uh, I guess you can say a more modern version. I'm, I'm very much up to date with the way they speak. You know, I'm continuously 
interacting with my cousins. So I, the, the experience was very, very different. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get anyone saying, oh, you know, you're speaking like you're from the 1800s. So right, I was right. very happy. <laughs> <laughs> now with the Venezuelan accents. Um, yes. Okay, so I've only known like two Venezuelan people in my life. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember when I met this girl, and this is not like, I'm not making generalization. I'm just, you know, telling the story. But um, I met this girl and she was a coworker. And I was listening to her talk on the phone and she had the strongest R's yes. that I've ever heard. And it was, for I didn't want to be rude and say like, where are you from? Like, what's <laughs> going on? But I was playing this little game in my head for weeks. Like, okay, she doesn't sound like she's Argentine. She doesn't sound like she's from Mexico. She doesn't sound like I was going through every Spanish speaking country. Like, <laughs> and then I finally got to the point. I said, you know what? She has to be Venezuelan or she has to be from <laughs> literally. I was like, she's either from Venezuela, Paraguay, or <laughs> Equatorial Guinea, because those are the only countries I could think of where I've never met someone yes. and I've never heard them speak. So what are some hallmarks of the Venezuelan accents that yeah, set so, it apart from the other Spanish dialects? Definitely. So in Venezuela, um, we had, just like every other Latin American country, you know, the Spanish kind of tried to take over. And so we definitely do see marks of the way the Spanish people speak. And we see this very much in terms of the S. So in Venezuela, there's a joke and they say that we like to eat our S's because we don't pronounce them. <laughs> and so it's basically like, for example, if you were to say, hola, como estas? We say, hola, como estas? So mm -hmm. I don't know if you can kind of sense the difference, but mm -hmm. yeah, so we don't really pronounce our S's as much. Um, the double L sound, like, um, allá, or the, the Y, it's very, very strong as well. Mm -hmm. And the R definitely, we really like to roll our R's and, you know, very, make them very, very strong. So Those I R's would say, are surfing. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> that's, no, that's really interesting to know. And I think that I will say one thing is that um, for me, even though her R's are very strong, and I can hear it now in the examples that you just just mentioned. To me, who doesn't, I don't speak Spanish. I understand enough Spanish, but not enough as I should, being from New York City. <laughs> <laughs> um, her, she spoke very clearly. And okay. her, words, her words are very clear. And I, I say that because I think of like Colombians. Yes. I think Colombians speak very clearly as well. They do. And sometimes they will also, you know, do the S thing, but not as, it depends which part you're from. Mm. I would say what part of Colombia. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, it definitely is. I love <laughs> how Spanish is so different, like in every country. And it's, I'll never get tired of it. It's so vast and just so interesting to me. It is. It's a very beautiful language. And I also love the way, you know, it, it variates from, you know, the original. So the European Spanish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally different. Totally different. Yes. The words as well, you know, the pronunciations. There they have, I think it, it was three S's actually. 
So it's like the standard S, the S that sounds like a S, and then the, the S where they don't pronounce the S. <laughs> so the it's, one. yeah, exactly, <laughs> the silent one. <laughs> That's very fascinating how language changes, you know, depending on your, where, you're, where you're located, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I never get tired of it. And like, you know, growing up in New York City, like I grew up mostly around Caribbean Spanish uh, speakers. Yes. Um, Puerto Rican. But yes. I must say that of, and this is, I've said this before on the show, of all of the, the Puerto Rican kids that I grew up with, none of them spoke Spanish. Um, okay, interesting. They, like their, their, their mothers or their, their parents or their grandparents, I'll, I'll say, spoke Spanish to them. And they may or may not respond back in English, but there was definitely not like when I started making friends from the Dominican Republic, all of them spoke Spanish. Yes. Um, so it's just, I just, there's so much culture and like language that just interests me there. Let's get into translation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you interested in becoming a translator? Um, I definitely would have to say that it was the fact that I was exposed to various languages at a very young age. Um, you know, I was con constantly translating everything I would hear being said in Spanish and Italian into English and vice versa. And, you know, I was always fascinated by how each language had its own way of saying the same thing. So I think that was definitely what sparked the interest mm -hmm. in, you know, pursuing a career in translation. Okay. Did you have that um, option, I guess, of becoming a translator? Did you have that presented to you as like a clear career path? Or was it something that you kind of found? Uh, yes, actually, now that you said that, it was something that I kind of found, you know, all throughout high school and university, I was always very, very, you know, strong with the language courses. And I, and I love the way, you know, they, they teach you languages. To a lot of people, it's very boring. But to me, the fact that, you know, they present you with a foreign term and, you know, it's equivalent in English, kind of like they translate back and forth. I love that. So it just dawned on me one day while I was, you know, finishing up my high school studies and I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? So then I remembered, I said, well, does this exist? You know, being a translator, is that really a thing? And so I went to the, I think it was a French teacher and I asked him and, you know, he's like, yes, of course, that is a career. And so that's when I really started to, you know, seriously think about pursuing something with translation. Mm -hmm. And when you started to, when you started on that path to pursue it, what, what were your studies like? Like, what do they have you doing? Yeah, so um, it's, it's interesting. So they have us taking concurrently um, courses in, in languages and the grammar of the, the languages that we're going to be working with. So in my case, it was, you know, courses in like the syntax, the, the phonology of French and Spanish. So they get us to really perfect the two languages we want to work with. Well, in my case, it's two languages. But if, you know, you're, you have, you're fluent in more, then that's, that's better, actually. So mm -hmm. They have us do that, then they have us learn about um, the art of translation because it really is an art. And we have a whole series of code of ethics. So, you know, 
interestingly enough, people think, oh, you know, I know how to speak French and, you know, English. I can definitely do translations. How, how hard can it be? Well, actually, it is, you know, you have to make sure that when you're translating, you're doing so in a very accurate, faithful manner. You know, you cannot add any words or omit any words and you have to, you know, preserve the tone of the original. So it's, it really is a lot. And so they, they do kind of take us on this journey and show us how, what a proper translation looks like, you know, through trial and error. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point that it's not just about being able to speak two languages. Yes, um, exactly. You really have to, have to understand that. So if you, so, and, and like you said, um, what I picked up on that I wanted to ask you is, you know, so you have the French and the Spanish and you said, okay, if you speak another language, um, of course you can do that too. So Definitely. if you have, for you personally, since you also speak Italian and Sicilian, now let me yes. ask you, Yes. you speak those as part of your, your heritage language, part of your, your culture, exactly. part, of, part of who you are, but yes. you, st I'm assuming, cause you haven't said otherwise, but you haven't studied the syntax and phonology. Um, what's the word? Um, exactly. Uh, yes. The, <laughs> I just lost the, the word. The, the phonology, the, the linguistic <laughs> phonology. portion. Yeah. Right. You haven't studied the linguistic portion of uh, Italian and Sicilian, but you have for French and for Spanish. So exactly. if you wanted to take on an Italian translation, um, so, how, would, how, would that, how would that work? Exactly. Now, so this, this is where it gets interesting. So generally, the, the rule of thumb is to translate always in your first language or your dominant language. So in my case, I'm always going into English. Now, I studied the French and the Spanish, so I'm good to go. You know, I understand them very well. I can read and understand. Everything is fine. Now, if I wanted to go the other way and, you know, do a translation that's in Italian and bring it into English, what I'll do is I'll work with a reviser or somebody whose dominant language is Italian to make sure that I've, you know, fully, fully captured the message properly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you would have to generally work with someone else who, whose first language is, you know, your third or second language. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and would that also, because I, I imagine that a big part of understanding how to, um, a big part of understanding how to translate a document also you have to understand how the culture works exactly definitely um, so how does that work if you were somebody who maybe never lived in like spain or never lived in a spanish-speaking country or never lived in in a french-speaking country exactly do you, yes. do you still work with the reviser for those type of things so if you um, have undergone like extensive studies and you've taken multiple tests and even if you are certified, then generally you're good to go because as a translator, you know, we are continuously studying. We are continuously, you know, engaging with the cultures of the languages that we're working with. You know, we're reading news articles and everything that's published in our working languages. So that's why there, there shouldn't be an issue if you are, you know, making a point to kind of immerse yourself in those mm -hmm. cultures without really, you know, having lived there. I understand. Yeah. So it's a continuous, you know, learning cycle for us. <laughs> this is really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. This is so fascinating. And I'll tell you, part of the reason why I asked you that question about if you had this career path presented to you is because 
um I don't know how old you are I'm getting older but (laughs) (laughs) well um, I am as well so (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm the only one aging sometimes I'm like everyone is so young and I'm just this you know anyway um I remember being really interested in language and travel and all this stuff from when I was a kid. And I, I've told this story before. And if my mother's listening to this, she's going to be like, oh, again, telling this story. <laughs> but um, I always wanted to learn French. And when I was very young, my parents told me that I, they told me they didn't want me learning French because they didn't find, they didn't think it would be useful. Okay which is another can of worms, but um, my parents wanted me to learn Spanish because I'm in New York City and it would be, you know, they, they thought it would be a more practical thing, but me yeah. wanting to be, I'm like eight years old, wanting to like, you know, be this like glamorous, globe-trotting, uh, sophisticated, whatever. And, <laughs> you know, I'd heard that, you know, French was like the international language. So like, to me, I was like, if I just learn French, I can have this international life that I want. And that was in my, you know, eight-year-old, nine-year-old brain. But the thing is, when I would tell people, like, I want to learn a language, I want to learn French, and people would say, well, what are you going to do with that? The only option that was ever presented to me, (laughs) that was ever presented to me, (laughs) was become an interpreter at the UN. Wow. Now that is a very nice option, I would say. <laughs> right. It is a it is a it is a nice option. However, um those jobs they don't go they don't go handing those jobs out, you know? So, they don't, yeah. Exactly. Secondly, um nobody ever made the distinction between interpretation and translation. Yes, and there is a very big distinction, yeah. Do you mind telling our listeners? what that distinction is absolutely so generally you know very simply put interpretation is the verbal translation and so you are in front of a speaker and they'll they'll, you know they'll they'll speak they'll say something generally we ask them to keep it very short and simple so that we have time to reiterate what they said in in the translation translated version Mm -hmm. so that's interpretation it's all oral it's all spoken translation Whereas translation is the written translation. So you receive a document, whatever it is, and you go off, you write it, and you present the translation on paper. Mm-hmm. They're, they're similar where both instances you cannot add or omit anything that the, the author or the, the speaker is saying. Right. So in that, yeah, we have to remain very faithful and very accurate with the words being used and also to not change the tone. So if somebody's very angry in an interpretation setting, you have to reiterate their anger through your, tra- your spoken translation. Mm-hmm. Same thing, you know, in terms of the writing. So you're not going to sweeten things up or sugarcoat anything if, you know, the author is, there, there is a point being made in a negative right. way, for example. Yes. Yeah. Are there people who do both? Definitely. Okay. Actually, I used to do both myself. Oh, wow. Yes, but I'm first, you know, the lockdown happened and you're not really going off as much to assignments. So I kind of slowed down, although everything is happening virtually as well. 
But for me, I decided to, you know, switch gears and really focus on the written translation. But yes, you can definitely do both. Wow. I wish I could <laughs> go back in time and start over. Well, you're never too late. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, but on that note, if I did want to start over, or for anyone else who is thinking about um, translation and providing translations, um, what are some valuable skills that you think one should have to become a translator? Yeah, so I definitely think you need to be detail-oriented. So, you know, that way you can catch any errors or typos. You definitely need to know how to work well under pressure because generally, you know, in translation, they want things like yesterday. So yeah. it's you're working on a very time crunch uh, manner. Um, you definitely need to be able to speak and understand two languages. And I think for translation, uh, a very, very big and important skill would be research skills. So, you know, we are often thought of as being walking dictionaries and, you know, being familiar with any kind of subject matter or topic, but that is not really true. I mean, we can be a jack of all trades and translate various topics, but that's only because we're really, really good researchers. Mm. So we know how to, you know, study the subject matter, inform ourselves well enough to be able to find, you know, the equivalent words in the other language. So mm -hmm. research is very, very huge. <laughs> What is one interesting thing that you've learned from research through your translation work that you've never forgotten? Let me see. That's a very good point. <laughs> because I, I have a story for my interpretation. Tell me about the, <laughs> tell me about the interpretation story then. Well, it's, it wasn't, now that I think, but it wasn't really interpretation story. It was me learning the the Chinese language actually oh so yeah so that um that was a whole I guess you can say a whole fiasco at the beginning because I I kind of underestimated the power of Mandarin and how um the tones the intonation the kind of tone that you're using it really really does matter so the first day of class the teacher you know to break the ice she got us to kind of go around the classroom and, you know, present ourselves to one another and ask each other, hi, how are you? And in Mandarin, that's ni hao ma. So when it got to my turn, I was very, very nervous. And unintentionally, I kind of um, went a little bit higher with my tone towards the end. So I said, ni hao ma. So at that point, she looked at me and she looked kind of upset, kind of shocked, a mix of everything. And she said to me, do you know what you just said? So I was so embarrassed. And of course, turns out that I had said to her, you nice horse. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just want to hide. Where am I going to go? Everybody was laughing because everyone in that class, you know, beginner Mandarin, they were all, I think they must have been either Chinese, anyhow, Asian background. So they most likely knew how to speak Mandarin. Mm. So there I was, the only Caucasian person who ended up saying you nice horse. I just wanted to die. <laughs> And so from that experience, I learned that you need to be very spot on with your tones and intonation. So right. yeah, that was something that I'll never, ever forget, ever. <laughs> How has your experience with Mandarin been since then? So unfortunately, I've kind of had to put my studies on hold. I mean, I recently became a mother and, you know, life just happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Congratulations. So, thank you. So, you know, it's been very, very busy on a personal level. So mm -hmm. I, I hope to definitely pick up the studies, you know, once I, once I do have some more downtime for myself. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, to your story, I was going to say, I think that what's interesting is that you're coming from a very romance language um, background into a language that's very tonal. So yes. I think your mistake is like not only inevitable, but I feel like I when when people make those kind of shifts, um, just maybe gotta laugh at yourself because that was really funny, and I didn't <laughs> want to laugh. But <laughs> that was at the time I was just probably so red and embarrassed. But looking back, I definitely do laugh now and then. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, please, about Lumina Translations. Um, tell me how you got started on your own. Yeah, so I have been working as a freelance translator since about 2014. And so, you know, I was working under various agencies, you know, local marketing companies, and just doing a whole bunch of different kinds of translations and it wasn't until the lockdown where i said you know what i kind of want to do something for myself and do things my own way so that's why i decided to start you know lumina translations and so since my the beginning of this whole adventure i've now partnered up with you know different revisers and translators that are located internationally and so we service uh, entrepreneurs and authors and we help shine a light on their words by, through translation so that they can be seen, you know, through various markets. Mm -hmm. So the, the goal here is to, you know, establish ourselves as a leading agency for literary translations so that, you know, potentially these publishing companies can also offer their authors published translation versions of their books. I see. Yes. So that so, is the goal. <laughs> so you work with like literary fiction? Yes, I work with, I, I do all sorts of translations. So novels, short stories, poems. Uh, we also do service, as I mentioned, entrepreneurs. So most recently we've, we've worked on the translation of product labels for this new skincare company that's launching soon here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And we do, yeah, we even do social media content, um, recipes, cookbooks, all sorts of, you know, fun, creative uh, our, our marketing documents mainly that is so amazing yeah it's very very fun um it's something that i had been doing for a while and i decided to you know let's just do things our own way and to be honest the reason why i also created lumina translations is because i don't really like the the traditional approach to translation i mean it's like, here's a document, I'll speak to you, you know, in two weeks or in three days, whenever it's ready. And I, I didn't really like that because a lot of the times a translator may have questions that they want to ask, you know, mm. the client and especially with, you know, something so um, personal or something that is so intricate as, you know, a novel or, or a fiction, you can interpret that anyway, really, right? So I figure... Yeah. Here, the idea is to keep the communication open throughout the entire process with our clients. So, you know, we can pick their brains and have them join in also and give them, you know, have them give us their input about where, you know, where we're going, where we're, where we're headed with the translation and if, you know, things are as they had imagined or planned, you know? Yeah. Yes. 
That's wonderful. That seems like a new, like, like you said, you're fed up with the, with the old approach, but that seems like something that really fits into the way people operate nowadays. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You want to be as transparent as possible, right? So they're right. the creators and we're just messengers. That's what I always say. Oh my gosh. I'm so thrilled <laughs> to like, I'm so thrilled to talk to you right now. And I, <laughs> I could ask you 40 more questions. <laughs> I definitely, I will not. You'll have to come back. Definitely. <laughs> I'd love point. to. <laughs> um, before I forget, most importantly, most, most importantly, um, where can we find you online and if we want to work with you? Definitely. So you can find us on the Instagram page and it's at Lumina underscore translations. And so we're also working on getting your website up and running. So stay tuned for that. Exciting. <laughs> so exciting. I'm going to add your information into the show notes so that anyone who's listening will be able to click right away and find your Facebook page. And Excellent. Yeah. Josie, I'm so happy to have had this conversation with you. And I think your story is extraordinary. <laughs> so cool. And it's been so much fun just talking about all this culture and language with you. I'd like to end each episode. I like to bookend my episodes, but I like to end each episode with this same question. That is, do you have any jokes, popular sayings, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in Italian or in Spanish or in French or Sicilian <laughs> to share? <laughs> uh, let me see. So actually, I really love this question. It's a good one. Um, so in Spanish, when uh, you know, a child gets hurt, we sing this cute little song to kind of, you know, make them better. Mm -hmm. And it's a, and it goes like, sana, sana, colita de rana, sino sana hoy, sana mañana. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, just to give you a literal rendition of what it means, it's, it says, heal, heal, little frog tail. If you don't heal today, you'll heal tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. But of course, you know, this holds no meaning. So <laughs> something equivalent would be, you know, the boo-boo song in English. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I always, I, I have heard that. I have heard that before. I think with like, you know, everyone has different lyrics for it. But yes, definitely. Yeah. Sana, sana, colita de rana. I've heard, I've only heard that part before. But how okay. does the second part go? Sino sana hoy, sana mañana. So yeah, if you don't heal today, you'll heal tomorrow. Si no sana hoy. Sanarás mañana. Sanarás mañana. Yes. Okay. I never knew that there was a second part. <laughs> that <Yeah. one. laughs> there definitely is. <laughs> thank you so much for teaching that to me. And thank you for this hour of conversation that we've had. And I've really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know more about what you do and about your your culture and really quickly i like to ask um don't think about this too hard but you have four or five depending languages to answer what in this situation what would be the best way to say goodbye okay so ciao saludos um au revoir and arrivederci 
Arrivederci. Yes. <laughs> I think I covered them all, did I? <laughs> yeah, I think you got them all. Unless you learned something in the Mandarin class to say. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's Zaitian, if I'm not mistaken. Zaitian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Josie. Arrivederci. Ciao. Zaitian. <laughs> and I'll be talking to you soon. Definitely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Whoosh! <whistles>